Welcome to The Practice of Business. I'm your host, Brian Hayes, and each week I'll help doctors and leaders in aesthetic medicine like you grow their business knowledge and become more successful, confident business leaders without sacrificing your ethics, your sanity, or your passion for medicine. The aesthetic industry is rapidly evolving, becoming more complex and challenging as it grows. Building a successful business in this environment doesn't require an MBA, but it does require a new mindset where you commit to ongoing business education and skills development. Like medicine, it's time to see business as a practice. Hi there, welcome, and thank you for joining me for episode one of the Practice of Business podcast. So since this is a new podcast series, I created a trailer that would give you a more detailed overview of the goals for the podcast, what to expect in future episodes, a little bit more detail about my background, etc. But if you haven't had a chance to listen to the trailer or you'd rather skip ahead, then I'll give you a quick Cliff Notes version here. Uh, first, to introduce myself, I'm Brian Hayes. I've spent the last 25 years in the aesthetic medical industry. In that time, I've held sales, marketing, senior leadership and management roles. I built several successful teams from a few people to over 100 people. I have helped launch startup companies and worked to grow industry leaders. And along the way, I've worked with countless aesthetic practices. A few years ago, I left the corporate world and started my own consulting agency to combine my passion for teaching and education and business and focus it on supporting doctors and leaders in aesthetic medicine like you to help you advance your business skills and grow thriving practices. I found along the way more and more practices struggling or being challenged by the business side of their practice, and I really wanted to help and make an impact. So with that in mind, to get going on today's podcast, if the overall theme of this podcast is to help you grow a successful business, then it seems like it would make sense for us to start by defining what success is and what that success looks like. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. We're joining this podcast. You want some tangible, actionable business advice. And here we are starting from some super high level of describing the definition of success. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? But what would you say? What if I asked you, is your practice successful? Are you successful? How would you answer that? Probably you'd give me an answer that's based on volume. You might say you're super busy, you've doubled your patient base, uh, you've added second location or experienced significant growth, etc. Or you might use some data points, particularly financial data, revenue numbers, growth rates, something like we did $3.5 million this year and that was up 20% over last year, etc., But is that success? Is that the true definition of success? More likely, these are descriptions of goals, goals for the year, goals for the few years, where even if you hit it, next year there's going to be a new goal. So is it success if it's temporary? And more importantly, what if you don't hit it? What if you set a goal of $2 million in revenue this year and you do 1.8? Does that mean you're unsuccessful? Maybe. The definition of success is more related to recognition or ranking. For example, being known as the best plastic surgeon in Denver or Chicago or Boise. But best in what measurement? Best for whom? Considered the best by whom? 
if we break it down, it's really unlikely that you could objectively become the best in every category to every patient segment. So should your success or your definition of success be built around something that's likely unachievable? So as we describe it, maybe success and defining success is a little more difficult than it seems at first glance. So let's talk maybe a little more specifically. Let's compare a couple practices. So which of these is more successful? Let's take Dr. A. So Dr. A, he's had significant revenue growth over the last few years. He's got a huge number of patients. He has some very good brand and name recognition in his marketplace. And if we talk specifically, let's say he did $3.5 million in revenue last year and had 15% net profit. Now, his accountant's probably going to say that's great success. That's a successful business in any industry. But what if to achieve that success, Dr. A consistently works 12, 16 plus hour days, and he works essentially every weekend, whether he's in the office or working from home. And if you ask about the quality of life that he has, he tells you that he's consistently frustrated by staff issues, uh, by dealing with patients that are becoming more transactional and less loyal, that his family relationship is strained, that maybe he feels guilty for not seeing his kids more often. Overall, he's stressed to achieve these numbers. Now, in comparison, let's look at Dr. B. Now, she's had some growth. She'd like to be busier, but her practice did $1.5 million in revenue last year, and she had a 25% net profit. So once again, an accountant's going to say, this is good. This is a successful business from a financial data standpoint. Now, in support of this, Dr. B, she has a staff that's very supportive, that energizes her. They have fun at work. They're professional, but they enjoy working together. She has high-quality patients. The patients adore her. She spends significant amount of time building relationships with these patients, and they send her lots of referrals. Now, to achieve that success, she works consistently some 10-hour days, but she works very few weekends, and she has good balance. So which these practices is more successful? What metric should we key in on to determine which of these is more successful? You know, there's a sports saying that says, they don't ask how, they only ask how many, right? But too often, our measurement of success is based on comparison. We see from the outside two different practices, two different volumes of success, and maybe we lean more to the outward appearance of one versus the other. The important takeaway that I would give you here is that each of us has our own unique value, our unique determination of what success looks like. So I want to stop right here and tell you, stay with me. Again, you might be thinking to yourself, well, this sounds like a philosophical exercise, or we're talking about business theory. But I assure you, there's actionable value to this discussion. And I also want to assure you, as I start to talk about success and you start to hear about things of quality of life, etc., you might start to get nervous that maybe I'm a hippie or a communist, although maybe I just dated myself by using the term hippie, but I assure you, this is a discussion that has hardcore business implications. I'm not trying to tell you that you need to measure success in hugs or the amount of love you receive. This is, again, got hardcore business implications to this discussion. For example, your definition of success, how you define your success to you, is going to clarify your goals and your priorities. 
It's going to guide your most important decisions, which then define and dictate your actions to support those decisions. So if you aren't clear about defining your vision of success, and I mean defining it beyond the numbers, then you're likely to follow the typical path of business success or pursuit of success, quote unquote, which focuses on growth, getting bigger, getting busier, etc. And that pursuit often comes with significant side effects, particularly for you as the leader. So if you hit the numbers but hate the practice, is that success? So when we're talking about definitions of success, do you find success by bigger or better, if we put it simply? So for example, what if I asked you to join this podcast where I would work to help you work longer hours, see less of your family, spend time with transactional patients, have more stress in your life, lose some of the passion you feel for medicine, et cetera. Does that sound good? Is there a financial number I could give you that would justify that? Too often, everything I just described is seen as a side effect of growth and success, particularly as a business owner or leader, but it doesn't have to be that way. Now, again, I want to clarify, I'm not saying that you won't have to work hard, that you won't have challenging days, that you won't have stress or frustration in your life, but these things shouldn't be a constant, and particularly, these things shouldn't grow as your practice grows. And most of the practices I meet, when they talk about their goals, they're primarily focused on growth and financial metrics. And typically, they prioritize bigger over better. To use the, uh, to refer to the sports quote earlier, they focus more on how many than how. And in my experience, this leads to what I call the Jenga approach to business building. So what I mean, well, If you have kids or you ever stayed in an Airbnb, you're probably familiar with the game Jenga. If not, I'll give you a quick description. It's made with a series of blocks. You take the blocks, you stack them in rows of three perpendicular to each other. You stack the blocks up into a tower, and then each player takes a turn, removing one of the blocks from the stack, moving it to the top. And you take turns, and obviously the goal is to make the stack grow higher without knocking it over. And I think maybe you can start to see some of the parallels here to the type of business success that I'm describing. If you just purely focus on volume or growth, that just like in the game of Jenga, the moves at first are pretty easy and it's relatively quick and straightforward to grow. But as you get higher, as you get taller in the game, for example, the stress moves higher. It gets harder to pick the right block to move. And as you get taller, the stack itself becomes less stable, right? You're removing some of the foundation to move to the top. And any setbacks or disruptions along the way cause chaos and could tip the whole, the whole stack over. So again, if you think back to my earlier descriptions of success, and you can see some of the parallels here. So again, when we talk about the difference between or the focus on bigger versus better, many of the leaders, many leaders understand that there are trade-offs But they take the approach that if we focus our business on getting bigger at first, particularly when you're new, particularly when you're younger, but I see this at every phase of of life for practices, that as you grow, we'll focus on getting bigger. And once we get bigger, and once we get there and become more successful, then we'll concentrate on getting better. But the reality is it doesn't work that way. In fact, many businesses in aesthetics and otherwise are more often to grow themselves into trouble than anything else. In fact, David Packard, who's the 
Packard and Hewlett Packard, co-founder, and also widely regarded as one of the great business leaders of our time, he had a quote once that said, more businesses die of indigestion than starvation. And if you look at research from into some of the best companies, the most sustainable, most successful companies with significant growth and success relative to their competitors, you see research done by Jim Collins, Stanford professor Jim Collins, for example, in his book, Good to Great, Great by Choice, etc. So many great ones, which quite frankly, are one of the first business book recommendations I make to clients or books by Vern Harnish, who uh, is the author of Rockefeller Habits and Scaling Up. What you see from these researchers and these educators in the study of great businesses is their details, their detailed study plays this out, plays out David Packard's quote. They see that the lack of foundation, the lack of structure, the wrong people, the lack of good people, the lack of leadership within these companies does a lot more to harm or kill a business than lack of customers or patients. So we have to understand that there's a biz- there's a big business myth that we have to, ch- I would have you challenge the validity of, which is that you have to choose between success or happiness and fulfillment. And this even goes back to my own personal experience. My first management job I didn't get any formal training. When I was promoted to manager, there's your team, here's your target, go get them, and uh, don't miss the number. And I always remember something my boss told me with my first management job. When he told me, remember, these people are not your friends. These people being my team and my customers, they're not your friends. And his quote was, you make friends at home, you make money at work. And I just, that never sat well with me. That never seemed right. If I'm going to spend most of my waking hours working with these people, both customers and and teammates, why would I not want to enjoy that? Why would I not want to think of them as friends, etc.? So once again, I want to assure you, I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a communist. But the important point here is that what we've learned from Folks like Vern Harnish or Jim Collins, again, in their study of great companies, is that great leaders and great businesses, they focus on and, not or. They don't choose between bigger or better. And I would ask you to do the same. And so you don't have to choose. You can get bigger and better, but you do have to prioritize. And it's important to note that bigger, we talked earlier that I think outside of aesthetics in any industry, there's this philosophy among companies that first we get bigger, then we'll get better. But it's not true. The opposite is really where the, where the magic happens, that better leads to bigger. That again, if I continue the Jenga analogy, right? If you thought about stacking those blocks in the form of a pyramid instead of a tower, that the wider and stronger you build the base and the foundation, the higher you can go. And the higher you can go without stress or fear to you as making the moves, but also reducing the fear that the next move could bring the whole thing toppling down. It might make mistakes, it might get a little off course, but you can rebuild it and it doesn't tear the whole structure down. And I'll give you a a real-life example of this in business is uh, a comparison between Chick-fil-A and Boston Market. So you might be familiar with 
with Chick-fil-A. And again, I, at this point, I had a plastic surgeon once who was offended that I used Chick-fil-A as an example uh, in comparison to his business. And I, I'd say at this point, uh, don't focus on the business itself. I'm talking in any of these examples about core fundamentals that can be transferred to any business, regardless of what business it is, whether it's fast food or plastic surgery or uh, med spa, etc. So back to the story, Chick-fil-A 15, 20 years ago, one of its biggest strategic rivals was Boston Market. And in the period of a year, seemingly overnight in business terms, uh, Boston Market radically grew and expanded. They went on a massive uh, program of expansion, opening new restaurants all over the country. And this was fueled by uh, Wall Street investment. They had gone to Wall Street, attracted a few investors and private equity firms that invested a lot of money in them to fuel their growth. And this triggered some alarm within the leadership of Chick-fil-A. And they came to Truett Cathy, who is the co-founder and uh, CEO and chairman at the time, told them the story of Boston Market, and they felt like they had to respond and raise their own capital. And Truett Cathy pushed back and refused. And he explained to the leadership team that our focus is not on getting bigger. And he said, quote, if we focus on getting better, our customers will demand that we get bigger. And if you fast forward to now, Boston Market almost doesn't exist. They overextended themselves. Uh, if we use the Jenga analogy again, forgive the analogy, but they stacked the blocks very quickly, very high. And the first little disruption brought the whole thing down and they're just not a viable competitor like they used to be. And if you compare Chick-fil-A through its slow growth of focusing on better versus bigger, they're at a point now where they are, Chick-fil-A is the number one fast food restaurant in the country by based on revenue per store. And they, number one, and McDonald's is number two. So this is an important comparison. When you look at McDonald's compared to Chick-fil-A, you see McDonald's has more of everything, more locations, bigger menu. They're open longer hours. Most of them are open at least some part of 24 hours during the week. And yet Chick-fil-A with a smaller menu, less locations, fewer hours. In fact, it's said that they could generate an extra billion dollars in revenue by opening on Sunday. Uh, despite all of this, they're the number one fast food restaurant based on revenue per store compared to McDonald's. And what's also important here is that they're not slightly better. Their revenues per store are more than four times the average McDonald's. So they're more than 400% more financially successful than their competitor that has more brand recognition, more menu items, more hours, etc., more of everything. So what does all this mean to you? That's all well and good, but what can you take from this? What, what action, what's actionable about talking about this definition of success? Well, because step one in building an exceptional business is to define your own vision of success. So what does success or successful look like to you? And specifically, what does that mean? Who are the people you want to work with? What are they like? Who are the patients you want to treat? What are your clinical goals? What is your brand? What do you want to be known for? What type of lifestyle do you want? And what is the exit? What does the end game look like? And by that, I mean, how do you see this 
wrapping up at some point in the future? Do you see yourself building a practice with multiple locations that you sell to someone? Do you bring on younger associates along the way and transfer it? Do you just wind it down at some point and retire? What are your thoughts? Defining that success is critical to building the business model that's going to support all that. Right, That definition of success is going to lead you to the identifying what's most important to how you build your team, how you set up structures and systems, the strategic planning that you do for your business, how you create your unique messaging to stand out against competitors and identify and attract high-quality patients, and ultimately building that foundation, that wide base for sustainable long-term success. Again, there's lots of promises out there about quick, easy, fast success. My goal through this individual podcast and the future podcast is certainly to help you grow quickly and have some immediate term impact. But the ultimate goal is sustainable, long-term, multi-years and years of success. And to ultimately ensure that you build the practice that you, not your accountant, dreams of. So what about money? With all this discussion of success, where does money fall into this? So, of course, this is business. Of course, financial goals and results are important. But in our discussion here, what we're talking about is financial goals and financial success as a component of the overall success, not the primary or the only measurement. And when you look at these exceptional companies that, that have this extraordinary performance, what you see is, of course, they measure their financial results, but they see their financial results as an outcome not just the goal. They see it as the outcome of getting all the other pieces right, of getting the people, the processes, the systems right. They know, they know that if they have the people, the systems, the processes in place, the financial results will come. And again, the opposite is not true. Ultimately, they see financial results like gas or electricity for your car, that it allows the business to run and to function, but it's not the sole purpose of the business. So again, if you forgive another analogy, in this case, if you took your family on a cross-country drive, if you were going to drive cross-country, see some of the great national parks of the country, explore new areas, meet with friends, uh, have this great adventure with your family along the way, when you got back, if I asked you how the trip was, you wouldn't start by telling me your gas mileage. You wouldn't tell me how much you spent on fuel. Of course, these things are important. Of course, you had to have gas or electricity in the car to to make your stops along the way, but it's not why you went on the journey. So in closing, with all this in mind, what if I asked you again the question that we started with? How would you define success for yourself and your practice? Once again, having a clear answer here has hardcore business implications. Quite frankly, Right away, if you can answer this question clearly and directly, it instantly puts you ahead of most of your competitors and, quite frankly, most of the business owners in any industry. And with that clarity, you can work on building and growing your business. And if you think about it now of where you want to be, no matter whether you're just, this isn't just for people starting your practice or your business. You could be doing this for years. If you take the time now to figure out where, what ultimately success you want, even if you're not on track now, it's okay. Because your answer and your vision of what that success ultimately looks like is going to help you to set priorities right now for where you need to learn, invest, etc., to grow your business so that you have the chance to achieve that success as you define it. So with that said, 
Thank you so much for joining me on this first episode. I truly appreciate it. I know how valuable your time is, and I'm grateful that you spent some of it with me. If you found this helpful, please join me next week and every week after for a new episode where we're going to focus more about some of the details that we just described, how to expand your leadership, build great teams, increase the profitability of the practice, create these processes and structures that we talked about and more. Thank you again so much. We'll see you next week on The Practice of Business. Before you go, I truly appreciate any feedback to this episode or the podcast overall. I'd also welcome any suggestions you have for future topics. You can reach me through the link in the show notes. If you know a colleague, friend, or team member who might get some value from this podcast, please feel free to share this episode with them. Thanks again, and see you next week.